Good morning, Risen Church. My name is Ryan. If I haven't met you, if you're a guest today, uh, as Pastor John said, I'm from our, our sister church, Anchor, which is another Acts 29 church in the area. And I've just been, it's, it's such an honor and a privilege to be here today with you and to open up the Word of God. I want to take a moment right now to do what I call a little kingdom exercise. And it's a repeat after me prayer, but it's two questions that you bring to God. And I've been doing this every day for the past two years now. It's radically changed my life. I got the idea from C.S. Lewis. But uh, would you pray with me now? Let's take a deep breath. Breathe in the air that God's given us right now. And bring these two questions to God. Say, Lord, who's in control? And to whom should I listen to today? I rejoiced in the fact that you are in control. And that I have the privilege to listen to you all throughout the day. Amen. That's kingdom living right there. That every day we start off with two questions, at least. Lord, who's in control? And to whom will I listen to today? I also want to take the time to thank the, the worship team, for the music team, for uh, an awesome lineup of freedom songs. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a freedom junkie. And, and my, this is my beautiful wife here, Jeanette. Um, we're at, we've been doing freedom ministry together for the past five years. We started this little freedom ministry, but, but all that really is is life in the kingdom. In fact, the, the, the terms are somewhat synonymous. If you're living freedom in Christ, then you're living the kingdom life. And so uh, as, a, as a freedom junkie, I try to find songs that have to do with freedom. And I, there was like four on there that I had never heard before. And I'm, I'm thinking, I got to get a hold of these songs. Did you write one of those songs? I mean, I, okay. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, just to recap, I, I listened to the whole series. So the, the series that you guys have been going through is the kingdom, seeking and savoring the rule and reign of Jesus in everyday life. And I love that title, and I've loved the entire series. And I say yes and amen to everything that you've heard thus far. And so I took some notes just to recap the things that we've learned in this series. And one of those things, the first thing is, is that the kingdom is where Jesus Christ, the king, rules and reigns. Amen? The kingdom is wherever and whenever people live in submission to the king. So people are living by faith, that perspective of faith. That's where the kingdom is. Amen. I love this one. All Jesus did on his time on earth was talk about life in the kingdom and role model it. Like, you imagine that everything that came out of his mouth is just, is, it was just about the kingdom. And everything he did was just role modeling for people here on earth as it is in heaven. He was just a kingdom man. I mean, he's the king. And then that the kingdom of heaven is synonymous with the kingdom of God. And that would make sense because Matthew is writing to a Jewish crowd and he would avoid using the name of God because it was reverent. So he would just say kingdom of heaven. But where, where the other gospels, where the synoptics use uh, kingdom of God, it's the kingdom of heaven. And those things are synonymous. If you grew up with, in a church culture, uh, you probably heard this phrase, um, when you die, would you like to know that you're going to heaven? Anybody heard that? I, I heard that a lot. Uh, but let's flip that thing on its head. Why wait to go to 
our graves to go to heaven. Why wait to die to go to heaven? We can go to heaven right now. So my prayer is that none of you go to heaven when you die, that you go to heaven right now. <laughs> Meaning, let Jesus Christ rule and reign over your life here and now. So I'm going to go to one passage here, and then I have this springboard. It's a springboard for a discussion. I'm going to draw with, with what I think the kingdom life looks like in everyday life. I, I sum it up in the, in the, the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication in the midst of gospel-centered community. And that's, just, that's, not a, that's not an exhaustive list. That's just four things that I think characterizes someone who's living in the kingdom here and now on earth as it is in heaven. But let's go back to Jesus' very first sermon in Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, here's, let's paint the picture here. Jesus just came out of the wilderness. He was fasting 40 days. Is that, that's a long time, isn't it? How many of you did the fast this week where we skipped lunch? Like, I, I did that. I said, said Pastor, I'm, I'm all in. And I was like, gosh, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> But I love fasting because it reminds me I'm denying myself something physical. And every time my stomach would grumble, I would say, what am I praying for? So I covered a lot of people. I had a friend that said, hey, would you pray for me? I'm going through a hard time with this. I said, I gotcha. Because I'm going to remember all day that I'm supposed to be praying. This constant denial of myself and, and submitting to the king, ushering the kingdom here now. That's kingdom breaks through when, when we do those kind of things. So Jesus came out of the desert fasting. And then he goes to his hometown. And, and then he walks into a synagogue, and then the scroll is handed to them. Now I can imagine in this, in this moment that, can we all see this, this verse here? That when he walks in, everybody goes, oh, that's, I, I know him. Jesus, he, I, he was my next-door neighbor. We grew up with him. So he's got some reputation, and then they give him the scroll, and then he reads, he reads this passage. Now imagine with me in a moment that here's Jesus. He's all incarnate God. He's the hypostatic union, as theologians call him. He's 100% he's God, 100% man, and he's reading the scroll, but in his mind, he knows it's about him. Not everybody, everybody else just thinks he's doing a scripture reading, but Jesus is embodying it now. And he says this, and this is his mission statement. If you ever wanted to know what, what Jesus is all about, Luke 4.18 is his mission statement. This, these are his five, uh, would, uh, use a military term, uh, these are his tactical objectives, right? These are five things that he came to do. One, he says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to, one, proclaim good news to the poor. Two, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. It's freedom ministry. Three, and recovering sight to the blind. There's a lot of blind people he's giving sight to. Four, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. This is freedom. Five, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, here and now. God's ready to rock and roll here and now. So he says this, and then he says, you know, that this scripture and Isaiah is fulfilled here in the hearing today. And everybody was marveled at him, but then when he said that, it started to click. Oh my gosh, this guy's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be the prophet. And then, so Jesus clarifies... And he goes on, and then he basically says, I'm God. And they're enraged. It would be like someone speaking here that you grew up with, and then you realize someone says they start, they're, they're claiming to be God, and then you would grab me, shove me outside, and try to throw me off a cliff. It would be like, it, just imagine this. You, you, grab, you all grab me, 
take me down there, tie, a, tie an anchor to my neck, and then throw me in that water. That's what they tried to do. But Jesus is some sort of ninja. He just like slips through, and they can't even, they can't even touch him. It wasn't his time. But that he proclaimed his mission statement there. Now watch this. You fast forward. This one's not on the screen, but just listen to this. He started to gain popularity, and he healed Simon's um, mother-in-law. And so he got popularity, and they said, we want, we want this guy to, <laughs> he's going to be our king. So we, they try to get him, but he goes, this is verse 43. He kind of rejects them, but he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for that for I was sent for that purpose. So Jesus came to preach about the kingdom of God. Now we've also heard, if you have a church background, that, that, that the gospel is that Jesus Christ lived, that he died, that he rose again, that he resurrected, that he ascended into heaven to, to set us free. If Jesus is talking about the gospel of the kingdom of God, um, none of that had happened yet. You see what I'm saying? Like, when Jesus shared the gospel, he, he wasn't saying that he died and resurrected. That's, that is, that's the gospel of atonement, but what Jesus was talking about, the gospel of the, of the kingdom. And here's the good news. You get to have the king. Isn't that good news? And the king, who has power and dominion and authority over all of the kingdom and all of creation, says he'll give you himself, not part of himself, but all of himself, he says, I'm going to empower you to live a life completely free from all the junk that holds people down. So that's the good news. We get to have God. God is the good news. Jesus is the good news, and we get to have him. So with that, I'm going to jump into this thing called the, the tree illustration. And with that, I'm going to, I am not an artist, but I'm going to try my best here. And my finger is broken, so there we go. All right. Now. Imagine, can everybody see this board here? I'm going to draw a tree right here. What are some things that people, that, that you and I might be struggling with? Anxiety. Sure, this is good. Anxiety. Okay. This will make it easier. What might your neighbor back at home be struggling with? <laughs> All right, now let her rip. What is your, what's your spouse struggling with? What's that? Pride. Pride. Okay, good. Pride. Depression. Good. Depression. Temper. Temper. Yeah, so let's, let's unpack that. How about rage? Let's just say it's rage because that's really the issue. Rage. What else? This is good. We'll go. Till it's, till it's, what is it? Impatience. Impatience. Yes. Have you been watching me at home? Okay, so impatience. <laughs> impatience, yes, these are good. What else? What is it? Cancer. Cancer, sure. So, so, so sickness. And then, so, because these are emotions up here, uh, let's just say someone has the cancer, and then they're, they become fearful or dep depressed, all kinds of things. So that would be the outside adversity is some sort of external problem, and then it's it's manifested into fear. Okay, what else? Now, there's all, the pro there's all kinds of problems here. The society in general, there's a suicide epidemic, so I'll put SRB, suicide behavior related. Say that again. Self-worth. Sure, self-worth. Yes. You have here, hypercritical. Greed. Yes, greed. Pride. 
pride. I'll put a check mark by the pride. Suicide-related behavior. We have driving under the influence. We have alcohol-related incidents. We have sexual assault. We have domestic violence. We have drug abuse, and so on and so forth. And these are things that are plaguing society. And, and all kinds of different programs exist to help people find relief from this. And you've even heard of the, the class, famous class, anger management. I submit in kingdom living, we don't want to manage any of this stuff. We want it gone. So here's what I submit to you, friends, is that all of the, the junk up here, all of this behavior is really, when we look at the scriptures, it's linked to things down here. Now, this is a tree. Everything underneath ground is what we call the spiritual world. Everything above ground is what we call the physical, visible world. And the physical, visible world is always linked to the invisible, spiritual world. And in fact, everything that happens up here is linked to what's going on down here. Now, the Bible calls the deepest part of our soul the, the heart. The Greeks had this, this word, cardia. You know what a cardiologist is? Well, a cardiologist is someone who studies the heart, the physical blood pumping organ. But when the Greeks used it, when it's used in the New Testament, it's not referring to the physical blood pumping organ in your body. It's referring to the deepest part of your soul. It's, it's referring to the thinking capacity of our being. Now, the cardia, I'm going to put a heart down here because this is where it's at. The heart is made up into three components here. So you have your mind, you have your will, and you have your emotions. And these things talk to each other. And then when, they, when the will finally says, we're going to do that, then it sends a message to your body. So I'll put here, this is your quote-unquote head. But really what I'm talking about, this is your, this is your brain. Because this, this is physical, right? So your, your heart talks to your brain, and your brain talks to your hands right here. That's a hand, looks like a little shaka there. But... <laughs> And it happens in this order. We never do anything that we don't first think about. And we don't think about things that, that we don't desire. These are our desires down here. Now, I've been, I've been drawing this tree for like five years now. And so I've, I've, as of this morning, as of preparing for this uh, message here, I, I think there's seven down here. I think there's seven roots. So one, two, three, four, five, six, Seven. I think all of these roots can be linked to this word right here, idolatry. I read a book called Idols of the Heart by Elise Fitz, Fitzpatrick. It's, it's, a, it's a classic work on idolatry. There are tons of, of books on idolatry. Uh, one of my favorite ones, Tim Keller wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods. But I have a, I have a whole list. So this is what, I've, this is what I, I see in the scriptures as well, that... Idolatry, since it's linked to every single sin that we do. And we, we know what idolatry is, right? Idolatry is taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing. The litmus test for me is if I say I need something, then it's become an idol. Well, if I say I need something and it doesn't end, that sentence doesn't end in G-O-D, then it's an idol. So with my kids, I found out I'm an idolater in my parenting when I go, I need you to finish your vegetables. When God goes, well, what about me? You don't need me? So I, I don't, in our house, we don't use the word I need anymore. Sometimes it slips, but then we just confess it and renounce it and repent and then get back on, get back to moving. 
But if I say I, I, I need it quiet, or I need you to do this for me, or if I said to my wife, I need you to do this, then God automatically takes second place, and then my heart goes to idolatry. So I don't need my kids to drink their milk or not spill it. I don't need my boss to talk to me a certain way. Actually, the king lives in me, and I have everything I need. All my needs are supplied according to his riches and glory. Okay. I'm going to throw a lot of scripture out there, and I don't got time to, to look for it all, but you can just borrow my Bible here. I've tabbed everything that I'm... <laughs> all my needs are met in Christ. Okay. It's Philippians. Ephesians. Um, I've been supplied with all, all, the, all the, the riches in his glory. Okay. Something like that. I got so many verses in my head right now. It's crazy. So here, here's, the, here's all the different roots. You have here the worship, since idolatry is the worship of something, something that's good, but it became bad. We have here control. The next root here, we have the control uh, of the root of worshiping power. And then we have uh, the worship of approval. And then we have the worship of comfort. And then we have here, I'm going to put a little dollar sign, the love of money. First, first Timothy 6.10. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Yes. Here we have rebellion. That's Genesis 3. When Eve was deceived and she bit the fruit, whatever it was, and she literally went like this to Adam, who was standing right there, but he was rebellious in that moment, and he bit the fruit as well, and then all of human race was fractured. Actually, all of creation, all of shalom was fractured. Our relationship with God, our relationship with others, our relationship with ourselves, and our relationship with creation was fractured the moment they rebelled. And our hearts are still like that. We all have a heart disease called the brokenness in, in the fall. That's our heart disease. And our heart talks to our head, and our head talks to our hands, and that's why we do things that we don't want to do. That's why we have habitual sins. That's why we have irrational thoughts. That's why we have things that we wish would go away, but they don't go away because these things are hidden. These things are hidden, and they stay down there. Now, there's a, another root here. I would say it's the root of deception. And in Hebrews 12:15, it talks about, in your ESV, it would say a root of bitterness. But if you look at that closely in the original language, it's not really, the, the, the bitterness is not the root. It's a root that leads to bitter fruit. And that's based off of Deuteronomy 29:18, a, a root that produce, produces a bitter fruit. So deception is if I believe a lie about who God is and who I am, then I start to act certain ways. I've read many books about freedom. I, I think of Rebecca Lyons wrote a book called You Are Free, Becoming Who You Already Are. Who are we? Every single person in the world, like you go to your work, you go to your neighbor, what can you say about every single human being that you run into? I ran into a homeless guy at 7-Eleven. And, and I said, hey, I'm going to buy you, uh, can I buy you a coffee or something? Or one of those unhealthy little, uh, you know, I bought him like one of those things that's been cooking all day. And uh, the Lord's like, give him something more. Give him something more than that. So I looked into his eyes, and I said, you know you were created for greatness? Like, you were created in the image of God. And you were created for so much more. And, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a recovering germophobic uh, guy as well. So with the Holy Spirit, he keeps messing with me. He's like, give that guy a hug. And I was like, no, no. <sighs> But I, but I, 
I said, you know what, man? We had a long talk, and it was freezing outside. And I said, I said, Thomas, you're, you're created for so much more than this. He said, yeah, but I'm a loser. And I went to First Colonial. I got kicked out. I did drugs. And I was like, yeah, but who's telling you these things? Who's, who's reminding you of your past? Because you know the devil? He doesn't know our future, so he only goes by the past. So every time you hear that nagging voice in your head about the past, it's not God. God is forward-looking. He's present. And the enemy is looking back. So I hear that nagging voice. Remember, you did in the past. Remember, you're a loser. That's from the enemy, and that needs to be confessed. And so I'm looking at him, and I just gave him the little bro hug here. And then he brings me in, and he squeezes me. And then we just embraced there for a while. And I, just, and I said, this is awesome. And, and God said to me, he hasn't been hugged in a long time. And so we just, we just sat there, and it was the kingdom of God breaking through in that moment of darkness. The guy was depressed. Nobody had hugged him. Nobody had told him he, he loved him, but, but God did that day, and I just happened to be the body that he used. We're just vessels. Jeanette and I have been saying for, for years now, we're just two restored restorers on mission for God, for the kingdom. We're not critics. When we go around, people have different lifestyle orientation than us. They have different theology than us. We're not there to be critics. We're there to be restorers. We're, we're not supposed to walk into a room with a bunch of knowledge in our head. We're supposed to walk in with life and with love. And then you can tell if someone in with knowledge walks into the room, sometimes you feel a little bit condemned. But when someone comes in when they, and they have life, they have abundant life, John 10, 10, exuding out of them, then you just feel good in their presence. You're like, I don't know what it is about that guy, but he walked by and I just feel life. And that's what we're supposed to do it when we, when we bring the kingdom into any room, into dark places. So we hear people talk, and then we, we hear that they're believing something bad down here in their heart, and then we can do what, second, what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, taking every thought captive and making obedient to Christ. You know, when I was studying that passage, I realized, oh, he's not talking about really taking his own thoughts captive. Paul's talking about taking other people's thoughts captive and making them obedient. And I thought about that. That's, that was radical. So I can hear someone saying something, whether they are bitter or unforgiving or struggling with something, and I can say, hey, so let's talk about that. What's your story? How did you get there? Take that thought captive and say, wouldn't you like what God has to offer? He offers something way better than, than down here. So, so we have these roots that, that are hidden deep down in the heart. And this is a dark place. No one can see this. So what, are, what is the way for us to kill this root so that this fruit, these fruits fall off? How can we do that if nobody can see this? Well, I would suggest 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James 5, 16, another awesome passage. Confess your sins one to another. And healing is linked to that. So if, we have, if I'm believing something down here in my heart and it's hidden, the means by which this thing is exposed is through confession. It's through confession. It's, and the parents, you can, do, you can do this. You can say, man, I'm being really mean right now. And just those words alone, 1 John 1, 9 actually says, if I confess my sin, I am being really mean to my kids right now. Then it says, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us. So the word doesn't tell me to ask for forgiveness. It tells me to jump right into thanksgiving. So here's what my life looks like. I'm being really critical right now of my wife. 
Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. And I go to my wife. I criticize whatever. You name it. The list is too long right now. Okay? When we confess things, then the moment we say, why did you load the dishwasher this way? I can go, thank you, God, for your forgiveness. God, you're so gracious to me. Thank you. And now I repent. I turn from that. So, So our lifestyle in the kingdom should be marked by constantly uprooting these things, constantly confessing these things, not just to God, but also to people. Now, why? Why? This, I get this all the time. I'm even hearing a lot from quote-unquote professionals, and, and uh, a professional counselor told me this one time, and then I went to two quote-unquote freedom retreats where, where they said, no, I wouldn't tell your wife about that. Okay? I, I wouldn't do that because that might end really bad. And I'm thinking, there's no, in the kingdom, there's no room for fear. There's no room for fear. Jeanette and I have no secrets. No secrets as together. 99%? No, no. No secrets as in 100% no secrets. Why? Because God calls us to live free from fear. So even if I was thinking something, and the Holy Spirit put on my heart, um, confess that to Jeanette. Well, in, throughout the years, I've learned in wisdom, I bring it to my guys. I'm like, hey, guys, I'm really struggling with this. And then my guys, are, they're warriors, right? They're, they're fearless warriors in wisdom. And then they come back to me and say, well, are you, uh, what are you struggling with right now? Are you having fear to tell Jeanette? Well, what would happen if you told her? Then, then this, this, and this. Brother, I think that's some fear here, and we should put a bullet in this thing. And let's go and, t- and, let's go and tell, our, let's go tell our wives. Let's go tell Jeanette. And I go, whew. Well, babe, here it goes. And I jump in. And before, before I confess anything to my wife, I, I go to God and I, go, I say, okay, you, you promised you're in control. <laughs> I don't feel it right now, God, but I trust you. Here goes. Jeanette, I did this. I said this. I looked at this. I did this. I'm so broken right now. I'm so fearful right now. Help me. And sometimes Jeanette's been like, what? And then a few minutes later, oh, thank you. You were wrestling, but you decided to be courageous. And I'm, thank you for bringing the kingdom into our house. And that's how it looks. It's never, it's never really clean. It's the, the, the life of confession and repentance in the midst of community is really, all these things are linked, and we're going to need to come alongside each other. We're supposed to be joined at the hip and doing battle together. You know, spiritual warfare isn't a personal endeavor. It's not, it's not something we do alone. We always battle together. There should be no one in this room that's battling alone. In fact, this is a body. This is a body. And we're part of the same church. Okay, so where I worship control, power, approval, comfort, the love of money, rebellion, deception, these things manifest into all kinds of fruit. I I teach, I I work for this... uh, company called Living Works. It's a suicide intervention skills model. It's, it's, world, it's world renowned. And um, I start off every seminar with this. I say, I don't care about suicide. And then everybody gets shocked. And I go, I care about the thoughts that lead to it. Because if I attack those thoughts, then this doesn't happen. Because the fruit is always connected to the root. Like where there's smoke, there's fire. If there was smoke in the room here and we just opened up the windows and, and blew the place out, that would not solve anything. I need to go to the fire source and put that out. It'd be like if I saw a bunch of flies, too, and I'm swatting flies. I don't care about flies. I just, maybe my two-year-old emptied his diaper out on the floor, and that's the problem. So I need to take that out. True story. So we always go take out the trash. 
We have to clear out our hearts here all the time. Now, here's the problem. If this was just it, then I would just live my life in confession every single day, and these things would never never manifest. But because we live in a world, it's, it's so broken, there are what I call, there's just bricks here that prohibit us from being known. And there are four bricks, I think, here. We have guilt, <coughs> anger, greed, and jealousy. These are these four things are enemies of the heart. Now, these things right here, there was a book written about this called Enemies of the Heart by Andy Stanley. Guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy can be summed up in debt, debtor language. You know what I mean by that? Like, you owe me something. So jealousy says, God, you owe me something. Like, God, why did you make me five foot one? God, if you made me as tall as Richie, then I would have been, you know, would have been a basketball player or something like that. <laughs> Guilt, uh, jealousy is, God, you owe me something. God, why was I born into this tax bracket? God, why was I born this? Why did my hair uh, turn out this color? Why, why this? Why, how come I couldn't have a brain like that? How come I couldn't think like that? And so it's this bitterness towards God, and it's debt debtor language. God, you owe me something else than what I already have. The antidote to that the way you break that brick apart is thanksgiving. God, thank you for how you made me. Thank you, God. You made me for a purpose. When I was a kid and we got locked out of the house, guess how we got in? They put me through the, the, the bathroom window. <laughs> yeah, no one else could fit. So I, that was, if that's the purpose for my height, then I'll take it. We got into the house. So uh, greed, greed is also debt-debtor language. Greed is the world owes me something. The world owes me something. My work owes me something. My, the, I, I need more. I need more of what I, what I don't have or, wh or what I already have. What's the antidote to greed? How do we break up that brick? The antidote to greed is generosity. I'm going to give my stuff away. It's, actually, it's not, it's not even, we don't believe it's our money. Like, like God bought that guy a, a sandwich and, and a coffee that day. It wasn't my money. What about guilt? Guilt is also debt-debtor language. Guilt is also bitterness. Guilt says, man, I messed up. I owe me. I owe me something. How could I do that again and again? I just did that. And guilt just beats you down until you can no longer think and then you can't be known down here and then these things just start popping up all over the place. What's the antidote to guilt? Anybody's, anybody wrestling with guilt here? The antidote to guilt, the way we break up this brick is through confession. Confess. I did this. You say it out loud to God, and then God will say, now share that with somebody else, James 5.16. Share that with a brother. Don't fear. Don't live in fear. So in confession, we break up this brick. What about anger? This is bitterness right here. This, these are all bitter fruit. Anger says, you owe me. Anger says, you owe me. Pastor John owes me. He needs to, uh, whatever. People have a lot of demands for pastors. It's really crazy. <laughs> like, he needs to re reply to my email. These aren't real examples. He didn't tell me any of these things. But I'm just saying, over the years, he's been a part of like 10 churches. It's just like there's this high demand that they owe me something, or he should have did this, or should have did that, and 
what's the antidote to, to anger? You owe me. It's forgiveness. Forgiveness says you owe me nothing. You don't owe me a thing. And the way Jesus defines forgiveness in the scriptures, he tells a parable about uh, a man who owed the king a lot of money. And then what did the king do to his debt? He canceled it out. He wiped it out. That's forgiveness. And then that guy, someone owed him money, and then he didn't cancel that debt. That's unforgiveness. But forgiveness is, I, I find that this is, I'm constantly having to go there. Uh, and here's my prayer of forgiveness. Lord, I choose to forgive whatever, my neighbor, for what they did. Because it made me feel, I'm going to emotions here, it made me feel, and I go to a deep emotion. We have a, a freedom workshop, and then there's a forgiveness portion of the workshop where we help people get in touch with their emotions, which guys uh, typically have a harder time with this. Uh, case in point, I, we were... My, my buddy and I were taking a guy through who had a lot of bitterness issues and a lot of forgiveness issues, and, um, and he was forgiving his supervisor. And we said, okay, what did the supervisor do? Well, he, he, he said this in front of the whole group. Okay, how, how did that make you feel? And he goes, just made me feel like I wanted to, like, pop his head, you know, like, like okay, okay, uh, <laughs> let's, let's try that again. How did it make you feel? Ah, it made me feel like I wanted to just like slit his throat. I'm like, okay. Um, this guy is not in, is not, he's not used to getting in touch with his emotions and his heart. But when it came down to it, he was able to pull up some primary emotions. Like, it, it made me feel belittled. It made me feel disrespected. It made me feel humiliated. And he got in touch with those things. When we can get in touch with how we're feeling down here, then we know what to let go of. Because the word forgiveness in, in the Greek word, it's afiemi. You know what afiemi it means? It means to let it go. Remember, Elsa wrote a song about this? Let it go, <laughs> let it go. That's, that's forgiveness. So we're constantly letting things go, but we don't know what to let go if we don't get in touch with it. We have to get in touch with it. We can't be hiding. We can't say, well, I, I, don't, I don't want to deal with it. How did that make you feel? And we do this with our kids too, right? Right? Something happens. He hit me. She hit me. And then, and then okay, so, and then I, I looked at, she, I think she was five at the time with Kyle. I said, so how does that make you feel? And she goes, sad. <laughs> and what do you want to do with your sadness? And she goes, forgive her. And then she forgave. So that's this like SOP, that standard operating procedure in our house now is they did something to me. Okay, uh, how does that make me feel? Oh my gosh. Okay, I'll let go of that. God, I choose to forgive my brother and my sister for saying this because it made me feel so disrespected. Thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would bless that person. Forgiveness is this. Lord, bless them, change me. The flesh says, bless me, change them. My guy's a jerk. My boss is a jerk. God says, no, flip it. Yeah. Flip it. God, bless my boss today through me. God, bless my boss. You love my boss. God, you're so patient with my boss. Bless him. Okay, Holy Spirit, you can use my mouth. I submit my mouth to you to be the vehicle by which you speak life into a broken situation. I'm not frustrated with anybody. In the kingdom, we're not frustrated with anybody. Our hearts are broken for people, but it's never broken because of people. You know the difference? Like, I'm not going to cry because someone said something to me. I'm going to cry for them. Like, oh my gosh, they're believing a lie. 
they're believing a lie. So we can, we can be completely free from these enemies of the heart, from guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy, through thanksgiving, through generosity, through confession, through forgiveness. But it gets worse, too, because this world's messed up, right? You can have weeds here that are growing. And let's just say these weeds are, are, are something like just, just in our neighborhood. Jeanette and I, we're, we're, we start every morning that we can to remember on our faces and praying. And, and God's been telling us lately, pray for the neighborhood. So I've been praying, like, Lord, if, if anybody's looking at any, anything bad, right, on their phones or their computers in this neighborhood... We renounce that and we reclaim this ground in this neighborhood for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, if anybody's dabbling into the occult in this neighborhood, getting into evil and offensive things in your sight, Lord, we, we renounce those things and we reclaim this neighborhood for your kingdom and your glory that your gospel would flow in this house and through this neighborhood. We reject those things. We resist that. This could be occult stuff. But there can also be See, this, these, are, these are water droplets, right? What could be feeding these bad roots? Well, you know, for it could be what we eat. It could be social media. It could be music. It could, all these things are good things that we can really run to instead of God. And what they're really doing is feeding these bad roots underneath. They're just feeding them. So you have here... This picture of my heart, my head, my hands, these things are all linked. If my life is characterized by confession, repentance in the midst of community, then God wants me to walk in freedom all the time. Now that we also found out that there are, these are wounds. If we grow up in life, if you, I think you have to live about five years before some traumatic stuff happens. Seriously, like when, I'm, when I'm dealing with people, I talk to people a lot. talk to people a lot. I've never met someone that didn't need to go back to their childhood to address things that had happened to them or something that didn't happen to them so that forgiveness could take place so this thing stops producing things because human beings have a tendency to operate out of our wounds instead of the truth. So we have here, there, there are five wounds that we found. You have deceit, fear, anger, shame, and, uh, and sadness or, or loss. Like things that had happened in our past that mark us, but when undealt with, they can lead to things. Uh, John Eldridge said in, in uh, one of his books that the only thing worse that happens to us in our past is how we react to it. And if we believe in a sovereign God, then who allowed these things to happen in the first place? Like who, who ordained it for his glories for it to be turned around? Well, in, in my theology, in my view, God's completely sovereign. Not 99% sovereign, he's completely sovereign. So I'm okay with things happening because if it's for the purpose of bringing my eyes back to him and, and me going to that prayer, God, who's in control, then I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm not going to let it manifest into, into sinful behavior. So these things that happen to us in the physical world, they can actually, 
they actually affect the, the chemicals in our brain. That's what, that's what uh, medical folk and other people say, well, what about chemical imbalances? Well, I, I do think that if things happen in our heart and then events happen in our life, it can actually throw off something in our, in our brain. And so God's given us uh, very smart people to make medicine. He's given us doctors. And I think it's honorable to do what the doctors say. Like if I had a flat tire in my car, I'm going to get a spare for the moment. I'm not going to drive around in it um, forever because that's not what it's meant for. So if the doctor tells me to take something because it might, I, I'm a little bit off, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that for the time being, but it's not going to be my God. I'm not going to say this is my permanent, this is my permanent go-to. God's going to be my permanent go-to. Um, is this making sense here, what the kingdom looks like? Yeah. I, I want to define freedom as, as, I, as I wrap up here. Uh, freedom... Most people would say that freedom means I don't have these anymore. But biblical freedom is completely different than that. So, so turn with me to, this is where I define freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says this, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom is not the absence of something, but rather the presence of someone. Did you catch that? Freedom isn't the absence of all this stuff. Freedom means I have the Holy Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So in kingdom living, I don't need this to really go away because I have the Spirit. And then I have a lot of reasons to apply biblical principles like confess your sins one to another. Things like press into fear, like I don't need to do any of this stuff anymore. I don't have to criticize anybody or my family or, or my boss or my subordinates because I don't need that. If I'm wrestling with fear, I can say, Lord, where is this fear coming from? Ephesians 6.12 is so awesome, I've considered uh, like making it a tattoo, but I don't, I'll never do that because I'm, I'm too scared. And, and, but, but if I were, maybe I'll do a Sharpie, I would get this passage, okay? Ephesians 6.12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So... If I did put Ephesians 6, 12, it would be like right here, right? And it, every day I would look at it and say, oh yeah, my wife's not my enemy. Oh yeah, my neighbor's not my enemy. Oh, I don't wrestle against those people. I, oh, I'm wrestling against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Like there's a battle going on right now for my soul. There's a battle for my mind. Lord, how, how, should, how, how do you want me to fight this? This is the sword, right? The word of God is a sword. You know how we wield the sword? We speak it. It's rhema. We speak it into the atmosphere. When, when we sing songs, I'm just, I'm just like, Lord, thank you. Like, there's, the enemy flees when he hears the name of Jesus and he hears it coming out of our mouth. And I love how we started off here. We're actually praying even for the chairs. That's amazing. We're going to cover everything. We don't want, we don't want demons to, to, to be hanging out here. You know, the, our house has been, there's, we've had so much arguing 
lately, and then and my buddy says, well, I wonder if there's some sort of like spiritual stronghold nearby. Have you considered fasting and praying so that thing, so those walls fall down? So we started doing that, and and things started changing radically. Like my son even cleaned the kitchen all by himself. <laughs> I'm serious. This, this is like it changed the atmosphere. Where we, where we harbor bitterness and anger. Well, one more illustration. One time, uh, Jeanette and I were fighting. Like, we were in each other's faces. It was weird, like, like a fight, right? And then I said, oh, whoa, time out, babe. This is when we lived in Hawaii. I said, I have something to confess. I got something to confess. You remember when we were at the park, and we saw that one couple, and then they had one baby? Well, I had this prideful thought, like, ha-ha, look at their uh, rookie parents, and we got, we got three kids at the time. We have four now. Um, I said, that was sinful. That was evil and offensive in God's eyes. And I, I brought that in here instead of confessing it. And she goes, I need to confess too. Guess what happened to the fight? It's gone. It's gone. We don't want to bring that pride into the house. I've, all day I got some sort of prideful, evil thought that, that goes through my mind. It's like the enemy comes up. <laughs> I'm going to whisper this one into this guy's ear. And it's not sinful to actually hear the attack. It, it's sinful to do to to have that conversation. Like Eve having a conversation with a serpent, was that, that was not necessary. And Adam standing by and watching his wife have a conversation with the enemy was, was, was sinful. So when we hear the thoughts, we go like, who's, well, who's saying that to me? Who told you that? That's one of the greatest questions that brings freedom in our house. Like, who told you that? Who told you you were a loser? Who told you, who convinced you of that? And you say, oh my gosh, that's... That is not from God. So I'm going to confess those things. Like I, I, you can spend a whole day on, on, on unpacking these things, but I, a lot of things can be con, connected to, am I trying to be controlling here? Well, Lord, you have control. You know what the idol of power is? It's, it's the idol of being right. Anybody feel like they have to get the last word in or the last say or like want to be right? Well, that's an idol of power. God says we don't need that. Anybody ever live to, to approve, to get someone else's approval? Like, I really want them to like me. Well, God says, you don't need those people to like you. I like you. You don't need actually any affirmation from people. We don't. Because guess who's affirmed us? God. Jeanette and I laugh because we, we, we have this thing, this saying, like, I'm making coffee for God. Because if I made coffee for my wife and she didn't like it, then I can walk around all day and say, oh, she didn't even say thank you. And it's French press too. I use the best beans. And like, ah, oh, she didn't even say thank you. And God says, yeah, but who'd you make it for? See, if you make the coffee for me, then you don't need approval from your wife. You don't need affirmation. I don't need a pat on the back if I do things for God. Like if I wanted to meet someone at a coffee shop at 1 o'clock and it's 1.15 and they don't show up on time, then I'm not mad. Why? Because I'm not meeting him at the coffee shop. I'm not meeting him at, at uh, what's that new place that I hang out? Uh, Roast Riders, yes, my new, my new hangout. I'm not mad because I'm not meeting them for them. I'm meeting them because God told me to meet them there. And so I look up and I go, God, were you pleased that I was here on time? Sweet. Oh, I'm so free. Yeah, I was in Roast Rider and I, I was like, I got to prepare this sermon. And I was like, I don't want to sit next to that guy because he's got a Bible. He's probably going to talk to me. So I, I hid in the corner, and I'm there. I'm there like I'm, it's about an hour into it, and I'm studying. And he goes, "Hey, you're a are you a believer?" And I was like, "Oh, he's witnessing to me." And then, uh, man, we hit it off. He couldn't make it here today because he's part of a, a church plant somewhere else. But uh, a young guy named Forrest. He was. It was an amazing, amazing time 
And he goes, uh, can I pray for you? I was like, bring it, man. So we're in the middle of Roast Rider. He's laying his hands on me, and we are ushering the kingdom into that place. Actually, there's a lot of you that hang out there, so like the kingdom's there all the time. <laughs> um, and then I saw a person sitting next to us that has a different lifestyle than, than I do, that has different preferences. And I didn't see them in a judgmental way. I go, God, you love that person. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I wonder what kind of wounds they have. Why is he doing that to his body? Why, why is he dressing like that? Why is, oh, gosh, what, what, what happened? God, is this the time for me to hear that person's story? And, and it wasn't. The guy was loving on me, and then, and then two other guys came in. and, and Seriously, two other guys came in and said, there was one, this is crazy. He walked in the door, this guy that I see at the beach, and he goes, and he pulled, called in another guy, and then he held my hands, and then we started praying in a circle there at Rose Riders. This stuff happens to me all the time. <laughs> I mean, do I look like I need to be saved? Like, it's crazy. <laughs> but we just love it. The, the, the kingdom is here. Don't wait to die to go to heaven. Let's go to heaven now. I guess I didn't get to open this much, but we talked a lot about the Bible. Right? <laughs> um, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me close this out in prayer. Um, are there any questions about this before I, before I close this out? Thank you. This has been such a, such a wonderful time. Uh, the kingdom of God is all about the king. The king is completely sovereign. And the king actually lives inside of you and I those who believe in him. And he's granted us all authority and power and dominion over everything. And so when he asks us to live a life, to flee from idols, to, to love, to forgive, to give, to bring life into every room we walk into, then we can. Then we can because he lives in us and he's empowering us. So with that, would you pray with me? King Jesus, we thank you for who you are and who you are in us. We thank you that you've empowered us to live lives as citizens of the kingdom. We thank you that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Thank you, Lord, that we have been set free. That we are no longer slaves to fear that you remind us that we are children of God created in your image. Lord, help us. Help us to remember to live the kingdom life here on earth as it is in heaven until the day you take us out of here. Amen.